0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you here today as we uh, continue our series called Thrive, a series in which we're learning how to live so that we don't just go through the motions or just try and get by, but actually live a thriving, flourishing life, the kind of full life that Jesus paved the way for every single person on the planet to be able to experience, not just after we die, but here and now. Now the first step toward experiencing this kind of thriving life is to get a picture of what that might actually look like. So as we uh, get going, I'd love for you just to take a couple of moments to imagine what your life might look like if it was truly thriving. Think about that. What might you be doing? How might you be feeling? What kind of person would you be like? What would your relationship with God be like? What would be the same about your life? Or maybe what would be different? Where would you live? Have at least some semblance of what that thriving life might look like for you? Now I'm willing to bet that the first image that popped into your minds as you think about you thriving were probably you in some beautiful or favorite spot. And chances are at first, You might have been the only person in the picture that you just formed. By a show of hands, how many of you only pictured yourself when you pictured yourself thriving, at least at first? A few self-absorbed people out there, thanks for being honest. I must be too, because the first image that came to my mind was just me on top of a mountain somewhere, like maybe Cadillac Mountain in Acadia National Park, overlooking the ocean, getting to enjoy it with God and not being disturbed by another human being. Only when I thought about it a little bit more did other things come into the picture like my dog next to me and then maybe some other people who are close to me. I might, have some, I might have some explaining to do when I get home here. But if you're anything like me, your image of thriving probably doesn't involve a whole lot of other people in it, does it? Why? Because people get in the way. Have you noticed this before? They get in the way of you going to work or going to school on time or, or they get in the way of you getting to the front of the line or they get in the way of you getting that, uh, that parking spot, that church that you desperately want. They get in the way of you finding some peace and quiet. They get in the way of you being able to do what you want, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. Some of these people that get in the way go by the names like Roger Goodell, But while I love the town of Lexington and its people, I don't always appreciate all the tour groups that take over the green in the center of town, kind of like a herd of cattle would. I can't really avoid that part of town on my commute these days, and when people are just aimlessly walking around, taking pictures, often in the crosswalks, oblivious to the world around them, it makes me want to stop, yell out of the car, and say, would you get out of the way? I've got to get to church to love people, come on. (laughs) People get in the way. Now, while people might at first seem to be obstacles to a thriving life, from God's perspective, people are avenues to real thriving. In other words, while people can often seem like barriers that get in the way of us getting where we want to go, they're actually vehicles that God somehow uses to get us where he wants to take us. And this is why when someone starts following Jesus... They don't just become a Christian, they become a part of a people called the church. There's no choice in this matter. Yes, we can choose whether or not we gather frequently with the church or not at all, but that still doesn't change the fact that if you're a Christian, you're a part of that community. There is no such thing as a Christian who is an only child. So the question for someone who chooses to follow Christ isn't, Am I going to be a part of the community of faith? But how am I going to live in this community of faith and how much or how little we do as determines how we thrive in life because how we thrive in life is inseparably connected to the degree to which we engage in the community of faith because God hasn't made any of us capable of thriving on our own only together, only in and through his church. Now, I'm willing to bet that hardly any of us pictured church when we briefly pictured our lives thriving. Because a church, while it can be an amazing community of people, it can also be challenging and frustrating and most assuredly full of sinners. And even led by some major sinners. Campus pastors. People with the names like Tom Van Antwerp. (laughs) But even if the church... Probably isn't something we might first include in our thriving equation. It nevertheless is an indispensable part of God's good plan for us even if that might not always seem to be the case to us. So today, we're gonna pick up where we left off last week in Paul's letter to the Colossians to discover how we can live in the faith community in such a way that not only will we be able to thrive as individuals, but to be able to thrive collectively as a church. And to do that, we're gonna discover uh, what steps we might need to take. And to do that, we're gonna ask these questions. First, what should we expect when it comes to thriving together in community, because without the right expectations, we will never thrive. And then secondly, we wanna ask, how can we best connect to one another here in community? So to tackle these questions, let's begin by looking at God's word from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let's start by asking what should we expect when it comes to thriving in community? It is essential to have the right kind of expectations in order to live well. Because if you have too unrealistic or too high of expectations, you can set yourself up for great disappointment, or you can put in unnecessary burdens upon yourself. Or if you set your expectations too low, you can settle too easily in life, or you can become too easily complacent. We need to have the right level of expectations for things including the expectations we have for the right level of expectations we'll be able to set. So now when it comes to our expectations toward church, we often get this wrong. Many of us expect too much from church when it comes to Christian community. We expect it to be perfect and not only to meet all of our needs, but to meet all of our preferences. It doesn't take long around here or even the most perfect church you can imagine to realize it is full of imperfect people and its services and gatherings are anything but perfect. And so when our expectations aren't met, we either get discouraged or we give up or we quit and move on to someplace else or stop going altogether. Or we can set our expectations too low for the church. We can think too little of its potential. And so we stop trying to build it up in the best way that we can. We stop contributing. So what should be our right level of expectations for the church? This past year, I've done premarital counseling for about seven different couples uh, from here in our Lexington campus. And every time I meet with a couple, I help them take this online assessment that reveals what their strengths are as a couple, their possible strengths, and their growth areas, which is a kind way of saying this is what they're really bad at. (laughs) Now, the first criteria that gets measured is a couple's marital expectations. Now, typically, some couples think that marriage is going to just be perfect that you're going to marry this person suddenly all the problems you had before marriage will suddenly just disappear after you get married that's what happens right or some people just want to get married and they have such low expectations of it they're like well this is the only person i can find and god's grace is sufficient so i'm going to just you know plow through this and make it work And it's my job to try and help get these people on the same page. And the way I do that is by sharing this proposition from the book Sacred Marriage. Our young adult, uh, our young married couples class is actually reading it right now. And here's the proposition. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? In other words, what if marriage wasn't just about trying to make us feel good and warm and fuzzy but was designed to make us more like Jesus? From personal experience, I can tell you that I never knew I was so unlike Jesus until I got married. (laughs) But the challenges and trials surrounding marriage have actually served to help me grow and become far more like Christ, and for that I'm grateful. Because there's something about committing yourself to a really imperfect person in less than perfect conditions that is really good for helping you to grow and mature and ultimately to thrive. And if this is true for marriage, then couldn't this be true for the church as well? Perhaps God wants us to be committed to an imperfect group of people in imperfect situations and circumstances so that we will be able to grow, we will be able to mature, and we might be able to thrive. Maybe God didn't give us the church just to make us happy, but to make us holy. I suspect that that is precisely what God is up to, which means that we need to have the right expectations as how we relate to the faith community. And I think here are three that we can have. First, church is going to be challenging. Second, progress in community is going to take time. And thirdly, we can nevertheless experience what I'm calling glimpses of awesomeness. Okay, so let's begin first by expecting that church is going to be hard or challenging. One of the big clues for this comes from verse 13 in our passage. Bear with one another. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never found bearing with anything to be all that pleasant. We're told by customer service, please bear with me while we put you on hold for an inhumanely long time. <laughs> we all know how terrible that is. And yet here we seem to be told something similar. When people start following Jesus, rarely do they suddenly become transformed all at once. No, but by God's grace, they do suddenly, uh, they, they do day by day become able to be more and more like Christ. But in the meantime, there is a whole lot of bearing with one another to do. So, what should we expect then if God is at work creating a global community of people of different ages, different ethnicities, different languages, backgrounds, temperaments, personalities, and of course, different preferences. It's gonna get messy at times. It might feel awkward. It might definitely probably make us uncomfortable. And ironically, these seem to be the most ideal conditions for growth into the thriving life to occur. I've heard it said, find a difficult person to help you grow. Take a look around you. (laughs) We've got plenty of them here and we even let some of them preach. So we should first expect the church is going to be challenging. Secondly, we should expect that community building, it's going to take time. One of the key things Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with is patience. Genuine community, it's not built overnight. Think of some of the people that you're closest to in your life. These bonds didn't form instantaneously or even in a season. They took time. And the same is going to be true for the church. Eugene Peterson puts it like this It takes a while for people to get the gospel. We have to quit getting in a hurry with people. I think the besetting sin of Americans is impatience. There's a story I heard a few years back about a youth pastor who moved to join a church staff because the staff was renowned for having great community life together. And after a year, the youth pastor felt kinda discouraged because he wasn't expecting and experiencing what he thought he would. So he went to the senior pastor and described this, and the senior pastor told him, well, you've been here for one year. You now have one year of community under your belt. Stick around here for another year, and you'll feel what two years of community is like if you stick around here for 10, you'll experience something much different. Because it takes time to thrive together. Don't try to rush it. Don't prematurely look for it somewhere else. Commit to being a part of a community and stay with it and be patient. Staying put might just be the best thing you can do for your spiritual life. And lastly, while relating to the church will be challenging and require patience, it can provide an amazing glimpse of awesomeness when we get this right. Now, if you had experienced church for any duration of time, you can probably think of some moments that far exceeded your expectations. Maybe a time when you deeply connected with God or God used you and the group you were a part of to make a big difference in someone's life or somewhere in the world. Or some moment that the Holy Spirit just touched you in a way that it sent chills up and down your spine and brought tears to your eyes. Or when God brought some person to minister to you in your life at just the right unexpected time. These moments of grace are what I'm calling glimpses of awesomeness and apart from the church we wouldn't experience these last month we had an amazing glimpse of awesomeness with our young adults on our annual fall retreat and the focus of the weekend it was all on community our speaker sharon ketchum who is a professor at gordon college uh talked about what we should imagine community to be like i love the picture that she painted or the sound that she gave she said that we should expect community to be kind of like a fifth-grade band concert. (laughs) How many of you have been to a fifth-grade band concert before? Now, I'm willing to bet you did not go there because you were expecting to hear beautiful symphonic noises and sounds, but you went because you loved somebody. Now, if you have sat through these concerts, you know how rather challenging they can be at times. Everyone's trying their best, they're giving their all, but sometimes you scratch your head and wonder, are they playing the same song? And then it makes you think, God bless that music teacher, boy. But just in that moment when you thought all hope was lost, you end up picking up on the slight tinge of a melody and suddenly all the cacophonic, inharmonic, jumbled messiness of this band starts to, out of it, emerge a song. And it seems like everybody, at least for a second, is playing it all together. And it makes you want to jump out of your seat and be like, yes, you guys did it for a second, but you did it. This was great. And I think Sharon is is right to contend that that is what we should expect for the church. It's going to be clunky sometimes. There's going to be clashing sounds. Things are going to go out of tune. But there will be moments where you glimpse awesomeness when everyone seems to get it right by God's grace and it feels like a foretaste of heaven Here at Grace, I can think of so many of these. A year and a half ago, a 100 people being baptized in one day at the Songus Arena in Lowell, Uh, hearing stories of addictions being broken, relationships being restored, newfound faith in Christ, and feeling heaven touch earth through music. There are so many of these moments that remind me as a pastor that although we aren't perfect around here at Grace, by his favor, This church continues to be an unmistakably thriving community where God is doing an undeniable thing in our midst. Do you believe that? And I don't want any person to miss out on moments like that. So let's join together like a good fifth grade band and commit to working to help each other thrive. Anybody with me? All right. So now that we know what to expect, we can learn how we can best connect to the church and and, and to the community, and the way to do that are three things that I think God points out here, that we can connect connect all together, we can connect interpersonally, and we can connect in and with the world. So first, all together. Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Now to a large degree, though not exclusively, Paul seems to be describing what we would consider a weekly worship gathering. We come to worship God together because the common practices of studying the scriptures, singing, giving, praying, receiving communion, they create an identity among us that reminds us that though we might look much differently, come from much different backgrounds, act differently, that we're actually not all that different because we are all a part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ these practices remind us that we are a part of something far bigger than just ourselves. And the more remember, we remember that the more we are going to thrive here at grace. We talk about these community building identity forming practices through the words deeper, closer, wider. And these aren't just words, but the pathway that we want every person who comes through our doors to join together on through uh, first, we want everyone to go deeper, in the faith faith by, by joining in with weekly worship and discipleship experiences. Secondly, getting closer together in our life community groups. And then thirdly, reaching out by serving around the world and serving those right in our neighborhoods and within our church family. My hope as campus pastor is that every one of us would be part of some sort of team that is reaching wider and giving either on a Sunday morning or during the week because thriving happens when we serve together. Last Sunday, one of the members of our campus, Priscilla Cease, so I'm sure many of you know, was telling me how, uh, the story of how she began to really thrive by jumping into service even though she wasn't quite sure what to expect. She writes this, My father died in 1993, and I was suffering still from his death in 1998. A close friend of mine suggested that I try the Evening Women's Joy Bible Study. I was very far from faith in those days. And there I made friends with other women, and in turn became more connected to God. On occasion, I would serve at various women's events, but mostly I just went to church and sat in the back pews for 10 years by myself because my main focus in life remained my career in sales and management. But during those years, Pastor Brian gave a sermon where he said that sometimes we are like empty clay pots and we need God's holy word and spirit to fill us back up. When he does that, one day we are filled to overflowing with his blessings and we can give them back to him through service. Then Pastor Brian made a call from the pulpit for much needed volunteers to be greeters to help the church become a more welcoming environment to visitors. I jumped up and I thought to myself, I can do that. Shortly thereafter, the leader of the team asked if I wanted to serve with him as a co leader. And I thought, you know what? I can do that too. And the rest is history. Today, I am privileged to lead the team of 70 greeters. And not only does Priscilla lead our greeting team, but she's one of our elders as well. And the advice that she would give to anyone who might not feel connected or feel like they're thriving in community is to just start serving somewhere. Just start serving somewhere. We have some really great ways to do that around here. Even though we have 70 greeters, we still need more. We need more welcome team members and Kidstown team members that try trying to help make uh, everyone who comes to this, through these doors feel welcome. We've been tracking visitors and we have roughly 30 to 40 people who are here for the first or second time every single Sunday. Often it's even more than that. And we want them to feel loved and welcomed and plugged in And that requires all of us to do our part. If there's somebody you don't know around you, get to know them, take them out to lunch, make them feel welcome, because chances are they're probably new around here. And if you have been a part of the faith community for a while, or our church, and you're ready to really say, I'm in, then make that decision to become a member here, or maybe decide to get baptized, as you heard earlier. We would love to celebrate these next steps with you. But for all of us, let me ask us, what next step might you take to better connect to the church? So we can connect all together, and then secondly, we can connect each other to each other in the church interpersonally in smaller gatherings like our life communities or in one-on-one encounters. So what should these kind of encounters look like? Paul says in verses 12 through 15, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Now, this list of things to do that I'm not good at is pretty overwhelming. At least by my count, Paul tells us 10 different things to do. And reading a list like this kind of reminds me of my college chemistry lab where our teacher would give us one uh, big, long instruction of like 15 things to do. And I'd miss what the first thing was, and so I'd be lost in the entire lab thing. And I'd wonder, what am I doing here? And so to spare us of getting hung up and going through thing by thing, I want to help us learn a practice that we can do that would enable all 10 of these things to just easily and routinely happen and overflow in our lives and in community. Probably the best book ever written on Christian community, in my opinion, is the book Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And in this book, he says that Christians never have direct or immediate contact with another Christian. Christians never have exclusively one-on-one interactions with each other because Christ is always between us. Jesus is not only the mediator that stands between us and the Father, putting us in a right relationship with God, but he is the mediator between you and me and every other believer, putting us in the right relationship together, together. Jesus is not only the head of the church, but he is the ligaments and the tendons that enable us to stay connected and to remain with each other. And the way that we can exhibit these kind of community-building qualities like compassion and kindness and patience, forgiveness, love, and the rest, is to approach each other by visually reminding ourselves and imagining that Christ is between us. He's sitting across from us at the table or between us. He's between us in the hallway. He might be a member of our group. Instead of seeing someone just from your own vantage point, learn to see each other the way God sees them through Christ, through that lens of Jesus between us. When we start to do this, what the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote will come to life. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of men and women's faces. If you want to catch a glimpse of Jesus, you need not look any further than to one of his followers because Christ is in between. Now the practical way to do this is just to remind yourself that Jesus is between you and whoever else it is that you're interacting with. We don't need to try and convince ourselves either that he is because he is. We are just so unaccustomed to recognizing this. But when we do, all the qualities that we've read about will just easily and routinely start to overflow from our lives. Now, one of the times that I find most useful for this is when I'm I'm speaking with someone and their words and their attitudes start to feel kind of frustrating, maybe annoying, or even hurtful. So I try to remember that Christ is between us. And when I do that, it helps me really start to feel mercy for that person. And it helps me to keep composed. It helps me to be patient and gracious and loving toward them. Now let me confess, I so wish I was far better at this. And I know people in my life wish I was too. I'd be a better pastor, I'd be a better person. But I thank God that he's far from done from me. And with me. And I'm really grateful to God that he's far from done with you, too. But in the meantime, we need to remember that Christ is between us. Because when we see Christ between us, all of the unloving approaches that we normally use when interacting with others, they fall by the wayside. We no longer feel compelled to try and outdo others or control them or manipulate them or one-up them or use them or defeat them or enlist them or brag. We'll just want to extend to them what the person in between us has extended to us. And that is love. And that love naturally expresses itself in turn like compassion and kindness and humility and even peace. Can you imagine the healing that could occur among fractured Christian relationships if instead of seeing the wrong, the mistakes, the pain, the hurt that exists between us, we began to see Christ between us instead? There's no formulaic approach to this. And we can't force others to do it, but we can begin remembering whose presence is always between us. See, when we recognize that Christ's presence is between us, Christian community thrives. It flourishes. And we need this inefficient, slow-moving, flawed community in our lives if any of us have a chance at thriving. And I think we all know what's at stake if we fail at this endeavor Christian community comes apart when we allow anything other than Christ to come between us. In a church that's as large, as diverse, as beautiful, and as challenging as ours, there are any number of things that we could allow to come between us. But church, let's make sure that nothing other than Christ ever does. Only let Christ come between us. Amen? So lastly, we connect and a thriving way with the church when we are in the world. Paul concludes this section by saying, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To act in Jesus' name means to act on his behalf with his resources. This means that whatever we do, we shouldn't do it, for our own personal ambition, but for his kingdom purposes. When we take this approach, Jesus resources us to act with his strength, with his love, with his power in situations that we never expected him to or maybe even wanted him to. Because he doesn't just want us to do this when we're gathered together as the church, but when we scatter as the church as well. The reason for this is that Jesus wants to form us into a thriving people, not just for our own gain, but for the good of the world. Because when we gather as the church, it's to help us work out a lot of the kinks and imperfections and areas of self-centeredness that we have, so that when we scatter, we can interact with the world much like we would naturally would, but much more like Jesus would, with sacrificial, patient, and compassionate love. And as we strive to do that, those people who only seem to be in our way stop being seen as obstacles and barriers, but as possible brothers and sisters that perhaps God is putting in our way. Perhaps we should start to expect that God might put other people in our way so that we can help connect them to him. If you can imagine that, then we can imagine what a thriving life to God looks like do you want to thrive? Church, let me ask us together. Do we want to thrive? Yes. I hope we do. And I want to close this by saying this. I absolutely love this campus and this church, and I thank God for leading us here five years ago. I hope and pray that it's only just the beginning, because he is doing a thriving thing here, and I don't want to miss out on it. I want to do whatever I can to help everyone in this community thrive, and I hope you do too. Because when we all work to see the church thrive, doing whatever needs to be done, even if we don't prefer it, lives become changed, God becomes glorified, and people experience his love. How might God be inviting you today to connect in a greater way to his church? So my brothers and sisters, let's all commit together to doing what God would have us to do to thrive together in community and to always keep him not only before us, but between us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this exceptionally good news that you are doing something in our midst that we could never ever create on our own or expect to be able to do You've surprised us in amazing ways and you use flawed people like me and like everyone here to help one another grow, to be more and more like you. Lord, we wanna be in on that. So I pray, Father, for every person here that we might have the right level of expectation for church, not that it'd be perfect, but that you would be a part of it, that you would still be at work. And so we ask, Lord, show us good glimpses of you like we've never seen before. We pray, God, as well, that you would help us connect in the ways that we need to connect, to be committed to one another, to serve one another, to bear with one another. We can't do that on our own, so we pray that your grace would strengthen us now, strengthen us always, so that the world would know how great you really are by how you use really imperfect people to love one another and to bless everyone they come in contact with. Empower us for that, Lord, we pray for your glory. Amen.